Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Crushing It in Construction podcast. We have officially reached episode number 50 of the show, which is amazing. When I first started this podcast, I didn't think we'd reach episode number five, let alone episode number 50. So I just want to take a second to thank everybody that is tuning in each week and listening to the podcast, knowing that there is other people on the other end of this that are interested in listening and actually care in the show and the guests and the stories that we showcase on this podcast is extremely motivating. So I just want to thank everybody and I hope you still keep tuning in and and listening as we move forward because we have big plans for the podcast. I want to keep growing growing the show, make sure we're still highlighting amazing stories from within the industry and just generally be able to build awareness for what's going on. So please share with your friends, keep liking on on social media, all of that sort of stuff. It is really appreciated. This week, I am chatting with Tim Buckle from Landscape Solutions. Now, Tim has a pretty amazing story. He started the business when he was 22 with a partner. It started with basically a ute and a shovel, and it has since morphed into a multinational company that has offices in New Zealand as well as Australia and has a workforce of over 700 people, which is pretty amazing. During this episode, we talk about a whole heap of different topics. We talk about Tim's journey starting the company, the struggles that he had along the way, and we also talk about his passion surrounding what we can do to get more interest in the landscape industry and just generally attract more people to the profession. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. G'day, Tim. Thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. Thanks, Jordan, for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Like I said, it's been a while in the making. I've been following up with you for probably near on 12 months, but we're here, so I'm excited to have the interview with you. For everybody that doesn't know you yet, could you just tell us who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, I'm Tim Buckle. I've founded Landscape Solutions and now Managing Director. We have obviously Landscape Solutions, which is the well-known brand, and we also have Golf Course Solutions and Co. and Applied Biosecurity in New Zealand. So a few different businesses that we branch out, but all sticking to the green industry. How was it that expanding into New Zealand came about? In 2016, a tender came out for a large grounds maintenance contract. So we started in 2017 and we've got about 280 staff there now. And we do grounds, we do about 2,600 parks and I think 340 sports fields over there, including cricket wickets and the grounds. So it's a large contract and certainly had its challenges, but yeah. good fun. So expanding, I suppose, internationally, was that kind of like the opportunity came up or was it something you were looking at for a while and putting bits and pieces in place ready for the right opportunity or how did that sort of come about? No, the opportunity came up. We weren't actually looking for anything like that and probably we thought New Zealand would be as easy as anywhere if we could when the opportunity Mm -hmm. came there and everyone who knows me here know that I like to dream big and have a crack. So we took it on. At times I questioned why, but I think it's been great for our business and great for our learnings. Yeah. So what have been some of the biggest challenges with that? Just obviously personnel in a different country, like what are some of the biggest hurdles? The scale of the contract's quite big and capital equipment and things like that to get at the start was a real challenge. We got a contract very late and so we started very late and that caused a few hiccups to start with. And also during COVID, obviously we couldn't get there for nearly two years, which created some challenges for our people and and disengagement with our people. We're very lucky we've got a great manager there who handles all those things in his stride. So I've been very fortunate to have him over there. Yeah, yeah. So I always like to start the episodes to just get a bit of a background on the person. So tell us, what was your exposure to the industry? Did you work anywhere else before you came into the landscape industry or was it just straight in there? Pretty much straight in there. My closest probably was a hardware store when I was young, working Saturdays and Sundays there. But yeah, my parents weren't in that industry. My father became a handyman later in life. So he's always been pretty handy around home. But 
I certainly wasn't that, and I was the lazy teenager like everyone, I think, at the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> But got thrown into landscaping because I left school and didn't know what I was going to do and became a landscaper, and now I absolutely love it. But it's hard work when you first start, that's for sure. Yeah. So did you have any sort of ambition to start a business when you first kicked off, or were you just sort of happy to be in the landscape field, or was there always this sort of goal and ambition to build something to the scale of what you currently have? I didn't think I did, but I spoke to my dad recently and he told me I was always very ambitious around that sort of stuff and always looking to learn around business and everything like that. So I think I have always had a real interest in business and I've found landscaping I was passionate about. So the two combined has probably made what's successful today. What has been some of the biggest hurdles for you? Did you do any higher education preparing you for what you were getting yourself into with all of the different things that you would have to do in a day? Uh, no, look, I went to Ascot Boys High School, which didn't educate you in much at the time. Um, <laughs> and I then did horticulture after that. And then I went and did some stuff at Ride School of Horticulture for stonemason irrigation, did parts of Certificate 4 in landscape there. So, yeah, I'm not particularly well educated, but I'm an avid reader and yeah. an avid learner. Yeah. Well, it's obviously paying off because I think when you and I were having a chat during the pre interview, you said you were just coming up on or have just had your 30 year anniversary. Is that right? Yeah, we just had our 30 years last week, I think, or the week before. Yeah, so it started in 1993 when I was a young 22-year-old, been going ever since. So how did it actually start? Did you just get an ABN and, and a shovel and a backhoe or what did you do? how did you actually get started? So early on, I had a partner and we just thought we might start a business. It wasn't particularly a well-thought-out plan, I don't think, in hindsight. But back 30 years ago, I think in landscaping, everyone thought they'd start a landscape business. Today, it's a very different business and industry. And if I was doing it today, I probably wouldn't start a business because I think there's so many opportunities within many of the businesses in our industry now that you don't need to necessarily start a business. And it's also a lot harder, I think, today to start than it was 30 years ago with all the requirements from governments, et cetera. What are some of the different stages that it went through? So you started with a business partner, like what was it, just you guys and a a few pieces of machinery? I was the typical landscaper, started with a ute and a shovel. And so, yeah, we just started with that. I think in the first year, we got our first apprentice, young Ben, who then worked with us for 14 years. I just started like everyone else, but I always focused on commercial. I never wanted to do residential landscaping. And so we always just were working in that commercial world ever since. And I quite like that builder hustle and bustle, I suppose you might say on site. A lot of people don't like that, but I quite liked it. Yep. Sure, it gets tiring at times, but I quite like that hustle and bustle and the movement yep. and the ability to try and deliver for a client. What was it that put you off the residential space? I think when you're working for clients, government clients or building clients, everyone knows what you've got. There's a specification, there's plans. It's very clear what you've got to deliver. And I like that. I like that it's clear. This is what I've got to deliver for you. And this is the time frame I've got. In residential, I didn't like that vagueness about what you're delivering. And to be honest, there's more creative people than me in that residential space who do a really good job. And so I figured I wasn't be competing with them. They were too good at the creative part. I was never great at the creative part. And so once you sort of got started and had that focus, I mean, because you're at, did you say over 700 people at the minute? How long was it for you to get to that, say, is there certain milestones in your mind as you were growing the company, like around 100 people, 200 people? Like, What were some of the significant points that stand out to you? I think every business goes through these. If you look at a graph, it rises and then it goes flat, then it rises and goes flat. And each time you're consolidating, getting things ready for the next stage of growth, if that's what you want to do. And we've done that throughout the whole time. We've probably last year been in a bit of a consolidation stage, ready for a stage of growth now. 
And I think I've done that all the 30 years, which took me a while to understand why you just didn't keep growing. But your systems and processes need to catch up. And so you catch up with your systems and processes and then you go flat for a little bit, then you take off again using those and then they get to the end of life and then you stall yeah. again and then go again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you said you just at another stage of that again, so you're about to launch into another a phase of growth. Is that right? Yeah, I think at the moment we're really trying to work on our people. COVID certainly highlighted, I think, for everyone in every industry the importance of people. And whilst I've always loved working with people and everything, I think we could always do things better. So at the moment, we're really concentrating on how do we develop the next leaders? How do we develop better technical people? And so we're spending a lot of time on that at the moment. And I think that'll really put us in good stead for the next three to five year growth period. So did COVID highlight specific weaknesses or something in the business? I remember you saying to me a week or so ago. Yeah, look, I think we could have gone into COVID stronger with our people and talking to our people better. I think that even with just COVID and everyone not being able to be a team as well, that caused issues just in itself. You don't feel like part of a team and particularly in landscaping where you're out on site, you're not always in an office and talking to each other. That created its own issues and I think we could have been better prepared for that. And yeah. Not that I'm expecting another COVID, but just the good practices of being better prepared for that will put you in good stead. Yeah, well, because I think COVID caught everybody's by surprise and I, I don't know how prepared anybody really was or could have been, but in hindsight, what is it specifically that you would have had in place to better manage people? Improved communication with all our leaders and managers and talking to them all the time about our strengths, our weaknesses. I don't think that we do enough of that in trades-based industries and so I think we're really concentrating at the moment on talking to our team and saying, okay, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? What skills do you need? And that might not necessarily be the next manager. It might be, I just want to be a better greenkeeper. I just want to be a better irrigator. I just want to be a better landscaper. And mm. so we're trying to talk to all our team a lot more around that and, okay, what skill sets can we put in place and how can we do that? And then communication, improving our communication. And I think even when you think the team's sick of communication, they're probably only just getting it. Yeah. So I remember you saying when we first had the sort of pre-interview that you reckon around the 20 people mark is probably one of the hardest, is it ceiling or whatever you want to call it, that you had to push through. I would consider over 700 more of a headache than 20, but what is it around that mark when you had about 20 blokes that was so tough for you personally? Look, I think 20 is so hard because you've got to be everything. You're the accountant, you're the bookkeeper, you're the estimator, you're the construction manager, the project manager, sometimes you're still the tradesman, you're the labourer. And you're not always good at those things either. So you're trying to be a bookkeeper, for example, and most tradespeople are like, that's not their strength. Um, yeah. You're trying to be the project manager and you might not be necessarily the best project manager. I think that's where it's hard because you're doing skills that you probably shouldn't be doing. Yeah. How did you get through that? Did you look to certain resources or did you just think like, I need more work so I can get more people in and get to that next level? How did you actually figure out what to do? Uh, probably back then, I think the book that I always remember reading was Amy. And Emith okay. really gave you some good ideas around systems and processes and getting that developed because I think when you're up to about 20, you probably don't have a lot of that developed. So I went, okay, we've got to really develop this and really get that strong so we can grow again. And I was pretty determined not to be sitting around that mark where you're everything. I said, this isn't sustainable for your own health and physical and mental health well-being. And so I was very determined to grow. So I knew I had to do systems and processes and we put a lot more systems and processes. And sometimes I think at times we probably overdid it a little bit there, but it certainly allowed us to grow. Yeah. And when you're sort of head down, ass up, doing everything, where did you find the time to put those systems and processes in place? Was it just every spare minute you had on a weekend you were in front of the computer writing stuff out? 
Yeah, yeah, it's funny. My dad used to own a milk bar many years ago, and and I used to always say, I don't ever want a business that's seven days a week. And now I've realised yeah. that owning a business is always seven days a week. It doesn't matter what business you're in, it's seven days yeah. a week because you're always yeah. thinking about it. And so, yeah, yeah, I think it's just a lot of work and a lot of work. You have to work at nights to put those things in place, but. Then comes the benefits later on when things can work without you and you can go on holidays and things like that, which really benefit from systems and processes. Yeah. And so I'm sure you've got similar issues or struggles. They're just at a different scale now. Like what are the differences between then and and now where you are? I think that exactly the same problems. I mean, you have client problems, people problems, quality problems, production problems. I have some really good people around me who manage a lot of that for us. I think as you get bigger, you've actually got more time to think about some of those things for them. And probably think more proactively than reactively. So now we can put things proactively in place to try and stop something happening again or predict what might happen in the future. So in many ways, it becomes easier, but you've got to be pretty resilient. Yeah, yeah. And that was one thing I was going to bring up too. Like, as you were growing, did you find it hard to let go of certain roles? You know, like a lot of people are good at their trade for argument's sake. And as they're trying to build the business, they find it hard to let go of roles that they were currently doing. Did you have any of those sorts of issues? Not particularly. Look, I recognise I was probably not the best landscaper in the world. (laughs) And I think that's what holds back a lot of tradespeople is that they think they are the best landscaper or carpenter or whatever it might be and therefore can't let anyone else do it. I've got people in our business that build jobs that I couldn't dream of building. It's it's amazing what they can do. And so I think recognising that, that that's not necessarily your strength and recognising that my strength might lie elsewhere in the business, that allowed us to grow a lot as well, I think. And would you say because you had such an interest in business generally that your strength now is obviously around the business side of things? And how long would you say that's been the case if, if so? I thought it was only in recent years, but as I said, my dad reminded me that I've always been interested in it. So I've obviously always yeah. been interested. I've always read books about business and things like that. So that's how I've learned a lot. But I think, like I said earlier, the combination of being passionate about the industry, which I absolutely love, and interest in business and growing people has combined to create landscape solutions with all the people in it. And they now create it as much, if not more, than I do. Yeah, yeah. And as you've been growing it to where it is today, have there been any real big oh shit moments like where shit's hit the fan that has ended up teaching you a valuable lesson? Oh, when a builder goes broke on you and you've only just started a business and you have to go back to your parents and ask for another $10,000 to keep going. Um, Okay. Look, I've had plenty of moments where a builder's gone broke or a client has gone broke and we've had to really scramble to see how we can survive. And that's probably a lesson in business that profit sounds great, but cash is always the number one thing. And I think a lot of people don't understand just how valuable managing your cash is. So we've always tried to keep very low debt. So if we're quiet, we're not in trouble having to pay back debt. We always try and pay our bills straight away as soon as we can. So we try and manage that cash flow a lot better so that when you do get a little bit of trouble, you haven't already got a buildup of debt. Learning some things around cash and especially in our industry (laughs) when you don't get paid sometimes. I think it's an important point because I know when I was at school, learning to manage cash or manage money in general wasn't anything that you really got taught in school. So it's kind of a baptism of fire if you come straight out of school and start running a business. Oh, yeah. I think so. Algebra doesn't help you with managing cash, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, don't get me started on that. Yeah. Hey, guys. Jordan here, and I want to ask you a question. Is your company actually attractive to potential employees? Because if not, you're making attracting and retaining talent even harder than it already is. See, every year, job seekers are behaving more and more like consumers. 
and they're now using the sophisticated methods that we all use when researching new products and services online to evaluate employers. And if a company wants to consistently attract top quality people to their company, then they need to actively manage their brand as an employer and show people why working for them is a great choice. It sounds simple, but it's not easy. That's why I created our employer brand scorecard a free resource to help business owners in the construction industry gain an understanding of how attractive their company is in the job market. Simply answer 16 yes or no questions about your business's recruitment activities, and then once you're finished, your answers will get pumped through an algorithm to produce your final score. Then, based on your answers, you'll receive a tailored report full of practical ways that you can make your company more attractive to potential employees. So if you want to check that out, head to moonshotmedia.com.au forward slash scorecard or look for a link wherever you're listening to this. It only takes five minutes and it's completely free. With that said, I want to thank you again for tuning in and I'll let you get back to this week's episode. What did you put in place if you've been burnt a couple of times with companies going broke on you and not getting paid? Like, did you put different strategies in place to really vet the companies that you were going to go into business with? Like, what did you change? Yeah, probably about 10 years ago, we decided we wouldn't work for particular clients and we're a lot more particular and would be prepared to not have work rather than go and do the work. Because I started to figure out that every time we got caught with a client and not paying us, it was typically when we were a little bit quiet and we took on a client we hadn't worked with before or something like that, or a client we're a little bit risky about. So we've decided that we will just go without work rather than take that work on. So did you basically sit down and go back and think, well, what are the common traits between these jobs that got us in shit, basically? Yeah, it's the clients as well, but it's also the risk you're taking on a job and your skill set. Sometimes we were taking on jobs that we probably shouldn't have because we didn't have the skill set at the time. So you're pricing things and taking on too much risk. And if you don't have that skill set and you know you've got to deliver, it just doesn't work. Mm. There's a whole heap of extra stress as well because you're trying to deliver something you haven't got experience in as well. Exactly. And I mean, my old man always had a saying, like, if you're taking on work because you need the money, it's one thing. But if you're taking on work that you're not skilled in and you're not going to make any money, you can go broke sitting at home with a lot less aggro. Yeah. I've heard a similar saying, you might as well go broke on the beach. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So looking back, what are some of the biggest, I suppose, milestones? What was the point where you kind of thought, yep, I'm making it now? Because it's always a struggle, but- were there any real milestones where you thought, yeah, we're on our way, we've got something good here? Look, I never think we've made it and I always think we can improve and get better. Anyone who's worked with me will always say, geez, Tim's always looking for a way to do things better. Sometimes that can be a bit relentless. But look, I was fortunate enough to meet a client, Bob and Margaret Rose from Rose Group, who were doing a large development at Cape Cabaret and then eventually did Breakfast Point. And that client was really very, very kind to me and very supportive of me. And I supported them as well. And it was a handshake deal, and we did somewhere between $70 and $100 million of the work for that client. And yeah, they're still friends of mine today, and it was an awesome relationship for my business and for them as well. But yeah, they certainly set us on a continuous work path, which really benefited our business. What do you think is the difference between, you know, relationships like what you just described and what 90% of contractors describe (laughs) as their relationships with clients, which are just squabbling over VOs and bits and pieces and stuff like that? Look, I think we all get caught up too much in that paperwork and egos. We're always trying to win Mm. and the industry becomes a bit too much like that at times, I think. And if people actually sat down, had a coffee and just talked it through, you normally find that you're not that far apart. And instead, we use Aconex or whatever other system it is just to fire off emails at each other. And that's what causes most of the problem. Picking up the phone and talking to someone, nothing beats that. 
yeah, a lot of people that have worked in, say, my old man's company and others send off emails and they say, oh, what did you think of that email after? And it's like, you just lose so much personality and tone of voice and everything through email. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Picking up the phone and just having a chat to somebody beats sending an email, that's for sure. Because you can take an email a hundred different ways depending on how you're reading it, can't you? Yeah. Look, society's moving more towards that way, aren't they? Like we all text each other and we all do that sort of stuff. But I encourage all my team to say, before you send that email, just call them, explain it first. You can always explain yeah. it better in words before so that they don't take it the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for the time that contracts are done through Snapchat or something <laughs> stupid like that. <laughs> so looking back, if you were starting again today, trying to build the company up into what it is today, what would you do differently, if anything, to either get there quicker, get there more efficiently? I don't know if I'd do much different. I mean, I think the mistakes that I've made through, and I've made heaps of mistakes and heaps of stupid ideas, but I think the mistakes I've made has sort of made the business now because you learn from those each time. So I probably wouldn't do a lot different. Would I at the time have wished I hadn't made those mistakes? Exactly. But it's a cliched saying, I suppose, but you learn from your mistakes and that's what helps you grow. So what mistakes are you thinking of specifically? Oh, people mistakes, letting the wrong people go, keeping the wrong people, taking on the wrong clients that I shouldn't have taken on or accepting things from clients I should never have accepted. Growing too fast at times. Grew too fast and then you then let down everyone, which is disappointing. And does growing too fast, I suppose it almost, it's a bit like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you're growing too fast and a job comes up or and while it's a little bit quiet, you're forced to take on that opportunity, whereas you maybe otherwise wouldn't have if you didn't have the extra overhead. And I suppose that helps getting you into a position where you might end up working for a company that does go under that you otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But there's a fine balance between taking on more than you can chew and actually choking on it, I think. So I think, (laughs) yeah, you've got to chew like mad all the time, but just don't choke on it. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think our audience might really benefit from? Look, I'm on a bit of a mission at the moment about our industry. And I think the landscape industry is so important for the community. I think COVID even highlighted how much community infrastructure, how important it is for the whole community and people love going to parks and enjoying that facilities. And when you think about what, particularly in landscape construction at the moment, what people have to learn, which is everything, electrical, drainage, building, car parks, civil, bulk earthworks, all irrigation, plant biology, soil structure. Yeah. We undersell ourselves. Landscape industry is traditionally been lowly paid. It's getting better, but it's got a long way to go. And I think that we're our own worst enemy at times. We need to behave more professionally, act more professionally with our clients, provide better service. And that goes from the person on the ground to myself. That will really, really change our industry. It's getting there, but it just should get there faster. Why do you think it's been historically pretty lowly paid, like considering all the skills that you need to have? Yeah, I'd, look, I mean, 30 years ago, you didn't need the same skills as what you need now. But a site manager or foreman with the work we do now needs to know just about every facet of construction. And I just don't think the industry or the industry outside of our industry is caught up with just how important we are to a project. Not only do we have to know all that sort of stuff, we're also the last one on the project and given the least amount of time. So we've also got to be excellent time managers and we generally work pretty hard to deliver for a client. So I just don't think we back ourselves enough as far as how professional we are. Yeah. What do you think it is that is making it so hard for the landscape industry to attract enough talent? Well, money for SART, I think that we need to be paid more. That's from the very bottom right through. I think that's very important. I also think that society is changing. 
I think that putting your child through a trade just doesn't seem to be the thing at the moment, which I really don't understand because half these people going to university will never earn as much as what a lot of our team will earn. There's a lot of good money to be made in construction, whether it be landscape construction or any construction, and you'll enjoy it a lot more, I think. So I I think hopefully society will start seeing that after a while because if we don't start getting the trades through, it's not just landscaping, it's everything from, I think, bricklaying trade has got a massive issues, obviously. But landscape trade as well, like to try and get apprentices through is really, really hard. Yeah. And like I've said to hundreds of other people, there's very few industries, whether it's landscaping, construction, civil, that you can actually look back at the end of the day and in 10 or 15 years time, look back and see what you've actually done. You can't do the same thing if you're an accountant or a lawyer or anything like that. So there's huge advantages and a great appeal, I think, of this industry. But I don't know that we collectively as an industry do a very good job at putting that message out there and attracting people in. Yeah, look, I agree. I think the construction industry as a whole produces something that everyone uses and society needs all the time. But on bias, the landscape industry makes it look pretty and we make it look amazing. And people sit on our benches and our seats and walk on our paths and sit on our grass and sit under our trees that we plant. Oh, look, it's such a great industry. Like I still look at jobs I did 35 years ago and say to the Mm. kids, I built that. 35 years ago, they get completely sick of it, but yeah. Yeah, 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 that's it. Then it's like the kids are there going, oh, Dad, what are you talking about? You sound so old. Exactly, exactly. I always like to end these episodes on a bit of a personal note. So what is a weird or interesting fact about yourself that most people don't know? Oh, I'm weird, but I don't think I can say everything. (laughs) Oh, look, I think probably most people don't know. I've got, between my wife and I, we've got six kids. So we have absolutely crazy every second weekend and and every second week, I suppose, houses with girlfriends and boyfriends and friends over our house. So probably a lot of people don't know that I I also go home to a crazy house every weekend. (laughs) Yeah. So there's literally like you you finish work with heaps of people and then go home to heaps of people as well. You probably don't get a lot of time for yourself. And they're a lot harder to manage. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's just hope they don't listen to this. I've really enjoyed having this chat with you. Again, I appreciate your time and taking the time to chat with me. Where can everybody learn more about the company, reach out to you, or just generally get in touch if they want to learn more? Oh, yeah, landscapesolutions.com.au or I'm on LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to reach out on that, I'm happy to have a chat to anyone or give anyone advice or help them. That's for sure. Cool. No worries. We'll link to both of those in the show notes as well. So again, thanks very much for your time and I appreciate you having a chat with me. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Crushing It in Construction podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to learn more about employer branding and recruitment marketing strategy, feel free to visit our website at moonshotmedia.com.au or reach out to me directly at jaskinner at moonshotmedia.com.au. Thanks again for listening and I'll speak to you in the next episode of Crushing It in Construction.